0: Hello, world. Welcome to the Political Worldview podcast, June 28th, 2016, the Oh My God, Brexit is Actually Happening edition. I'm Adam Quinn, Senior Lecturer in International Politics at the Political Science and International Studies Department at the University of Birmingham. We recorded a podcast just last week on other topics that strayed into some strong views ahead of time on Britain's referendum on leaving the EU. It'd be fair to say that passions haven't exactly cooled since the vote itself, so we're back today for a very special episode where we discuss the Fallout of that vote's outcome. I'm joined as usual by my co-host Scott Lucas, professor of international politics. How are you doing, Scott?
1: We live in interesting times,
0: and that's about as far as I'll go at this point. <laughs> the first Chinese curse of the day <laughs> is, that... is already invoked. Uh, also by a, a selection of a, our Europe-focused colleagues, uh, Tim Horton, reader in European politics. Hello, Tim. Hello. And Sotiris Zartaludis, uh, a lecturer specializing in European politics as well. Hello, Sotiris. Hello. On Thursday, June 23rd, the nation went to the polls and surprised everybody, including it appeared most Leave campaigners and voters, by voting to take the UK out of the European Union. Since then, the markets and currency have been moving like a funfair ride. The Prime Minister has said he's stepping down. Moves have begun to throw out the leader of the opposition. Scotland has declared its intention to hold another independence referendum, and it's become quite clear that the Leave side neither had a plan for what comes next, nor any intention of keeping some of their headline promises on public spending or immigration. Also, the England football team have been knocked out of the European Championships. In short, this appears to be the greatest national crisis in British politics in at least 40 years, possibly since 1945. Tim, uh, it feels like if countries were people, the UK would be taken into a secure institution for its own safety about now. Uh, What the hell is going on? Why did this vote? go the way that it has
2: i think we can we can point out a, a number of factors which 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 have been important here the first factor which is worth stressing is actually the nature i think of the two campaigns and i would argue very strongly that the uh, britain stronger in europe campaign was poorly run poorly executed Uh, It focused far too much on David Cameron. And if there's one thing we all know about European referenda, it's that people don't always vote on the basis of the question asked, but often express their views on the government in power. Well, if we didn't know it, we certainly know it We certainly know it now. So that was a mistake, I think, that Cameron was so prominent during the campaign. In contrast... I would say that the Vote Leave campaign was quite effective. It had a very effective slogan, taking back control, which is very alluring. It has a notion of control. Who could be against the idea of having control? Moreover, the notion of taking back gives some kind of sense that something belonged to us and has been unfairly, unjustly, incorrectly taken from us. Uh, And the third really important element which is uh, very clear from um from the vote is a broader deeper problem which democracies across not, not, not just the United Kingdom, but, but but established democracies across the world are suffering from these days, which is a sense amongst a significant proportion of the electorate that they feel distance from, they don't feel any connection to those people who govern over them. So I think it's a combination of, of the campaigns, uh, the personalities and these deeper problems uh, facing
0: democracies. Mm. I mean, one of the things that that a lot of people have been have been complaining about, I guess mostly, but maybe the, the broader agreement, uh, even from some of those on the side that was victorious, is that you know, this this vote seemed to take place on the basis of arguments that were very tangentially connected uh, with the actual substance of our EU membership, um, and a lot of promises got made that seem very unlikely to be kept and a lot of facts got thrown around that seem to be flat out not true and it seems like you know where one could take one view of this which says well the majority of the country democratically has spoken and they are all aligned in the view that one should leave the eu but it it, it seems to be that maybe there's a There's a smallish number of conservatives who believe in some kind of offshore uh, libertarian Britain with its sovereignty back, uh, who could never have won a referendum on the basis of those arguments. And they opened the trap door to a whole bunch of nativist anti-immigration feeling and a lot of working class desperation in order to get themselves this this majority. Uh, But that uh, while those two coalitions add up to more than 50% of the, the vote they don't actually have that much in common and it required a total ob- a total blurring of what the referendum was actually about and a whole bunch of nonsense about what comes after it to make that happen for one time
2: yeah, I mean, I think what's important here, in a way, the referendum was, do you accept the status quo or not? Mm. And the answer, I don't like the status quo. Maybe you didn't like it because it's too neoliberal, or you don't like it because it's uh, you have right-wing views, or you, 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 you don't like it because you just don't like the government in power. So in essence, the Leave side, it was just, do you like this? No, we don't, for mm. a whole bunch of reasons. So absolutely, it's a coalition of different interests there that came together underneath that particular umbrella. The second point that I would make about issues, those of us who study the EU should not be at all surprised that during a referendum on an EU issue that actually uh, a whole bunch of other topics came into the agenda. So if we think back to um the first vote on the lisbon treaty in ireland for example where there was lots of discussion about um abortion and tax and neutrality did it did the lisbon treaty have much to do with those no were they very effective tools to use to mobilize Um, discontent in Ireland? Yes. Or if we go back to um, France and the uh, referendum on the Maastricht Treaty, that was largely, what do you think about the current government in Paris? And an awful lot of French people said, we don't like it very much. Or we look at the 2005 vote on the constitutional treaty. Take the Netherlands then. Issues to do with possibility of Turkish accession, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, were used in the campaign as a way of mobilising support against the treaties that were on the table. So in many respects, we should not have been surprised the way in which
0: this campaign was conducted. Yeah, that's one of the things like, that's both weird and annoying, isn't it? Like, lots of people's response seems to have been... Oh my god! people weren 't voting about the right thing, or they weren 't you know engaged they didn't have the voters didn 't have a lot of information and they seemed to have a lot of misunderstandings and politicians who wanted a certain result were encouraging those misunderstandings um as though this is the first time that any of these things have ever happened whereas those 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 are a feature, not a bug of i mean even one might say politics, never mind mm-hmm. referendums uh, and where these people have been for uh, all of the history of politics that they should be surprised by this you know it 's just it feels like this is a time when it 's really particularly traversed the outcomes they wanted and the values that are close to them that suddenly mean we 're attending to this uh, to this question with with great fervor but surely it shouldn 't be a surprise yeah so uh, Satiris... Uh, We like to have you on the show whenever we're talking about a European country leaving (laughs) European institutions. We had you on last time to talk about Grexit. Who would have thought that Brexit would precede Grexit, but but, but here we are. You are, uh, I think I'm not breaking any news here when I say uh, from another European country. What is your assessment of this as a... European, as a European living in Britain, and as an expert in European institutions in any particular combination that you want to bring to the table?
3: Yes, um, if we follow the, the campaign in the referendum, I have two problems. Not only I'm an EU immigrant here, but also I'm an expert. So mm. it, it makes me probably a really bad person. <laughs>
0: Michael Gove and you will not be having social time together anytime soon, although maybe he needs you now. Uh, he seems to have changed his policy on the relevance of experts in light of the result.
3: To add to what uh, Tim uh, very uh, nicely and I agree with him uh, said about uh, the referendum, is that I think that this referendum also sets light to the problem that the UK has. Because we're talking about Britain leaving the EU, but actually if we actually see the way the vote has been allocated, uh, it's an English issue, and especially it's an English issue outside London and, and a Welsh ha- issue slightly. They see, they surprised. A few yes, people. but if you see actual like the the percentages of if like the difference between mm-hmm. leave and uh, remain, one of the kind of strongest levers were in East Midlands, West Midlands, mm-hmm. uh, North of England. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was watching uh, the other day the BBC, and they were saying that in Mansfield, seventy three percent voted to leave the EU. Mm-hmm. And last time I checked, Mansfield doesn't have so much immigration in a way, is not dramatically poorer than, let's say, a poor region of Scotland Mm. or a poor region of Northern Ireland, uh, to that matter. So I would argue that, in addition to what Tim said, that we have all these kind of processes in a European level or even global level, you know, with Trump, uh, you know, in a way, these kind of so-called losers of globalization, Mm. white working class people who have lost their jobs or they are in a very precarious employment like zero contract hours, etc. In addition to that, I think there is a if you like, an issue, I wouldn't call it a problem, with English nationalism. And it seems that uh, for a lot of English people, being English means that you are not European. And it seems that it's not the same uh, reading in Scotland or Northern Ireland mm. uh, or even London. Uh, so I would say that besides, if you like, the campaigns and uh, the economic uh, grievances and if you like, uh, the non-informed kind of informed, uh, decisions, I would say that I would inter- interpret this uh, result as a primarily, if you like, expression of the English nationalism that cannot be expressed in any other way, because in most elections in Britain, we have to choose an MP, and a lot of the seats are safe seats. So if you want to say something about your country generally, you you have really few outlets. And I think this referendum gave this opportunity for people to express this, if you like, frustration about identity issues, as immigration, uh, citizenship, wealth, etc etc. Et and we don't see these issues in poor areas of Scotland, in other Ireland, which somebody would expect that they would follow the English. And we also don't see that in London, which is an area which has very high percentage of immigration. Mm-hmm. So I would say that whatever happens, and we'll come back to that later, I think that there is a problem in terms of the how we deal with these voters that have a, also I think an identity issue. That want to express to the elites, but the elites, I don't know how they're dealing with
0: it. Yeah, it does, it does have the feel of, sort of, of, of the bitter harvest of a long-term problem, which is that there are, you know, there are a lot of people out there who, you know, whatever we might think of the net benefits of trade, clearly not their lives are much more economically difficult and much more culturally unstable uh, than than they, than they would have been and they have a variety of concerns cultural and uh, economic that the political system doesn't really seem to have a lot of incentive to address and certainly hasn't taken a lot of time to 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 address and what this process is making clear is that you know these people who have not normally been participating in the political process if an opportunity comes along and this repre- referendum presented it to them to just lash out in a way that may not be particularly thought through but that reflects a very real you know sense of felt grievance then then they will they will use whatever whatever tools are, are put at their disposal and that's you know why perhaps you know some of the responses to this so this result need to be judged quite quite carefully right because it is, on the one hand, I think most of us in this room would agree, possibly all of us, not likely to benefit a lot of those people to leave the European Union. You know, the consequences of that. These people have been told a story about how the European Union is the source of many of their problems, and immigrants are a source of many of their problems, and those problems will be, will be resolved by leaving. We also get yeah, three hundred fifty million for the NSS. Yeah, that, that, that is unlikely to prove to be, to be, to be true. But at the same time, those people aren't going away. And if anything, they will they will simply be even angrier uh, when they find out that they have been misled uh, and perhaps are scheduled to be sidelined and ignored yet further. So on the one hand, there's a big risk for those who've won the referendum that they've made promises that they can't keep and now they have to to, to eat responsibility for that. On the other side of it, wishes we might that this result should be overturned, there's a danger in leaning into the conclusion that this is a result produced simply by people who don't know what's good for them, ignorant people, people people whose concerns are not legitimate and who who, who are primed to hear that the urban elite doesn't care about them and doesn't want to listen to them already, and therefore the perception that 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 we're ready to dismiss them in those terms aggravates the original root problem that took us to this place.
2: I mean, I would say that, that,
0: you know, even though the decision on the
2: EU is seismic, in some senses, this sense of disconnect is arguably more important. Um, But the situation is both uh, a constraint, but also an opportunity. We're going to have a new leader of the Conservative Party. We may. We're recording this on an afternoon where the uh, Labour MPs are currently voting on whether to give Jeremy Corbyn um, confidence or not, so we may have our new leader of the Labour Party at some point. But both of those two major parties in particular should reflect on these results and say we have to do something to try and reconnect with those people. It's very difficult for some of us because of the way in which the Leave campaign has been um, conducted. But we have to recognize that there are a significant number of people out there who do have some legitimate grievances about the way in which they've been left behind um, by developments. And it's to, it's to the main political parties, it's a major challenge to respond to that. And if they don't respond to that, then these votes will move not, you know, in a general
0: election environment to a UKIP or a UKIP type party in the future. Right, because they've, they've been so used to free-riding for so long, a, a lot of the, the, the right-of-center parties, certainly, by pointing to the outside and saying, oh, we'd love to make everything immediately better, but these outside institutions are preventing us from doing it. Okay, now we're getting rid of the outside institution, presuming that either through lack of interest or lack of capability, these parties will still not solve the problems of the disenfranchised northern English working class um, who are culturally alienated and economically dispossessed. The only options left uh, to explain that will be our internal enemies or, or something like that, right? And that's when that's when the hard right starts to come along because yeah. we're going to have a really unstable, possibly recession-hit economic environment combined with a certainly fact-light, if not fact-free, uh, political culture that's been, that's been brought to life. And, you know... They are, that's my my biggest take the day after the referendum was that these people have been playing with fire. Some of the ones at the front of the Leave campaign, not so much because he kind of knows what he's doing. Yes, uh, But people like Boris Johnson, Michael Gove, who believe that you can turn on the tap of uh, disgruntled uh, ethno-nationalism while it's convenient to you and then turn around the next day and go, well, if, if you, I'm sorry if you misheard me about all the things I'm in favor of, but uh, you know, run along while I get on with like, status quo with a few tweaks and me in charge. You know, there's, there's a door been opened here and if people aren't very careful, some really ugly stuff could come through it.
3: This is one of the main, if you like, uh, things that... Our listeners should uh, actually focus on, I think, whatever happens with uh, the UK and the EU. And as I said, we'll come back to that. I think that the major development in Britain today is that we have an issue of, uh, if you like, uh, that we didn't have in the uh, history of this country. Uh, An issue where being openly, if you like, I wouldn't call it racist, but let's say being openly uh, anti-foreign, anti-European, it's almost mainstream, so I won't focus on any of the attacks that happened in police centres, etc. We always had this. But it seems to me that the discourse, or if you like, the the feeling, or if you like, the, uh, the atmosphere is getting more and more toxic. And uh, uh, m- one of my fears is that whatever happens, I don't know how internally Britain will manage this kind of, if you like, ethnic tensions, if you like, or... Uh, anger, if you like, or conflict even. Uh, so I would say that I would agree with you that this campaign, I think in my opinion, opened this kind of Pandora's box of populism that, or if you like, blaming or scapegoating, you know, we can, we can call it many ways, where it's tapping on real issues like the economic uh, disparities, uh, the sense uh, the lack of uh, the, the sense of if you like feeling if you like the strong feeling of alienation, the identity issues, I think they are real and we should not undermine them. But the way they have been managed is that in a way, we're throwing a bit of TNT as well inside the the pot yeah. to kind
0: of make it work. A lot of people who are furious about decades of being used and then discarded for political purposes have just been used for political purposes and are about to be discarded uh, by the people who sold them the line they should be furious about that, uh, and that that is a tinderbox just waiting to go off. And you can see on the faces of Boris Johnson and Michael Gove after, after it happened that on some level they are aware of what situation they've put themselves in. Like I don't I – genu- I, I, I've said this a few times since – result. the I think if you took them into a secret back room and told them no one would ever know that they'd done it and you told them you could reverse time and lose this thing 51-49 uh, – uh, and spend the rest of your career telling everybody that it would have been so much better if you hadn't been robbed and if they'd gone your way they would be massively happier than than they are dealing with the situation Boris right now. Planned
1: for it to be lost 51 to 49. Yeah. Now I'll put that in part of a, a wider answer because the three of you all make great points about what's happened and I'm wondering where we go next from this. I'll get back to Boris in just a second being careful given that I was the first person to ever be censored from political worldview podcast after what I said about him last week first point is that this was a a narrow triumph and it was narrow remind ourselves of that fifty-two forty-eight for emotion over reason and I'll I'll put that provocatively but that's not to deny that that emotion doesn't need to be addressed or I think as one Adam Quinn put it last Friday identity won out over economics you know it Every marker for this in terms of what is best for the United Kingdom, what's best for Europe, po- pointed to staying in to remain, even if there's problems in dealing with the EU, whether that be Britain's GDP, which is likely to fall by several percent relative to where it will be in the next few years because of coming out, whether it's to public services, whether it's to Britain's foreign standing. But what happened with the Leave campaign and um, is they lied. And, and, and let's be honest, they lied and they put out misinformation to push the buttons of emotion and identity. Uh, They specifically lied about the amount of money that was going into the EU and saying, we can take this all back and we can put it into the National Health Service, when in fact, they can't. They lied about immigration figures, knowing that they will not come down in the near future, It had, for reasons I can go into. Uh, They lied about other social services. But what they were doing beyond that is, is that they were tapping into, at least, I think, a sense of people of not only the fear, but this sense of identity that, and you forgive me, but this isn't one of those immigrants looking at it. it was like, once upon a time, we were great. Once upon a time, Europe listened to us, and the world listened to us, and wouldn't it be great if that could happen again? And if you don't believe me, listen to Nigel Farage or Boris Johnson ripping off a fake U.S. president, Bill Pullman, and declaring that it's an independence day, right, that it's suddenly been achieved. So... There were buttons that were pushed. We can go beyond that. There were failures with the Remain campaign. Someone has to answer for the fact, but not just the campaign's people themselves, that while 18- to 24-year-olds were overwhelmingly 3-to-1 in favor of staying in, only 30% of the 6% that could be bothered to vote, compared with the group that was most likely to come out, which was over 65, who so 83% of whom voted at the mm-hmm. polls. That type of engagement and why people didn't engage, that's a two way thing. And both sides will have to answer that in some way. But what worries me, I guess if I want to try to push you all a little bit further on this is, is to, to make the next two points is where we go next. I mean the second point is is that um, this is a disaster. I mean and, and just cold and I'm just going to put it blunt without trying to be emotive, um there will be an immediate economic downturn in this country. Because investment will be relatively frozen over the next few months. Stock market will be in a period of uncertainty. And you can make no plans for several months because of the way we've gotten our assessments to deal with those problems. Bank of England can try to hold the fort. And thank goodness Mark Carney, a Canadian, you know, if you want to get technical, came out on Friday morning and at least said, Look, at least we've got measures we can take to prevent the salt from collapsing. At seven minutes past eight after the FTSE had dropped 9% in seven minutes. It will be disastrous, however, beyond the economy. And this is where I'll tap into, I think, points that you all are making, satirious especially, but too kindly, into suspicion and fear and even hatred. Because when things economically go bad, people turn on each other. I could go on, but I won't because I want to just open it up. We'll take it from there. Because the third point I want to make is in this disaster that occurred, here's the stunning thing. Nobody has any plans because Boris Johnson, and I will say this, I think it, and I think most people agree, he has not said this directly, Boris Johnson at least did not plan to win this vote. He ran to become prime minister. He ran to have Remain win narrowly. He would say that Cameron didn't have a solid mandate to go on. Then Boris would step on and negotiate the relationship with the EU. When it didn't happen that way, he ran away from the press on his bicycle in one of those surreal moments on Friday morning, and then he and Go showed up and looked like rabbits caught in the headlights from trying to figure out, what are we going to say now? And they haven't said anything of substance since then. Mm. And Boris is meeting his advisers today not to talk about what they're going to do about the crisis, but to talk about how he's going to become the conservative party leader. Mm. So narrow politics got us into that. So there's no, okay, fine, that's what politicians do. But in this case, boys, you did it with no plans. And so now you're having to rely on Whitehall and the civil service to put in holding plans. Because let's be very clear here. As I read it, you can do nothing about this situation for months. Because David Cameron, when he resigned, quite clearly said, I'm not going to do it. It has to be a new government that has to Mm -hmm. come in. So it has to be the new government that will negotiate with the EU by invoking Article 50, if they do so. That means you have to have a conservative party leader chosen. And it probably means you have to have a snap general election, possibly Mm -hmm. as soon as October. Because Boris Johnson, I doubt, will have a mandate if Theresa May, the other alternative ones perhaps are different. So months in limbo. That's unprecedented. I can't, I'll put this out to you as a, because no one's mentioned this, and I like this point. Biggest crisis since 45, but the immediate marker for comparison is 1976,
0: mm-hmm.
1: which normally, not because it's American independence' 200th anniversary, I would like to say that, because that's when the IMF had to come in, when the British economy is in trouble, but here's the difference. Britain came out of those economic problems because it was coming into the European Economic Community. This time it faces those economic problems as it goes out.
0: Mm. I mean, uh, Nick Cohen write, wrote a pretty good piece uh, uh, the other day saying that if you, if you hated rule by professional politicians, then <laughs> welcome to rule by journalist politicians for highlighting the idea that there is a certain temperament of taking a contrarian stand, uh, usually quite extreme, dismissing experts uh, with rhetorical steps that you don't then ever have to actually back up. That um, that has been empowered in the form of Michael Gove and Boris Johnson, both of whom are journalists, and that there is there is something about their their the skill set of their past profession that seems to have manifested itself right right here. Um, but here's a uh, here's a story. Back in February, Boris Johnson uh, wrote. Uh, just after he had announced that he was supporting leave, that he thought that the best reason to vote leave was because Europe only listens to people when they say no, and that once Britain had done that, it would be better placed to negotiate with Europe on new terms, uh, have another referendum, and then remain in the European Union. David Cameron made so much fun of him in Parliament the day after that that he basically had to run away from the whole proposition. But that did all really happen, and it does seem to give us some insight into the underlying thinking, at least at that point, of the person uh, most prominently likely to benefit from, uh, f- from this. So, given the likelihood that there is going to have to be an election, in terms of either that event or the intentions of those who have now been empowered by by the decision to leave? Do we think that this Brexit is definitely actually going to happen? Or could the combination of buyer's remorse from the voters the solidity and franticness of people who always wanted to remain and now the mortal terror of those who are on the moderate end of the leave campaign who realize the consequences of what they're going to be in charge of could that combine to produce some kind of scramble to produce an alternative make-do jury-rigged alternative route that doesn't end in Britain leaving
3: uh, as i said to my student uh, the worst thing to d- my students is the worst thing to do is to try to predict but i will make a prediction And I will say that Britain will not leave the EU. Uh, And it will not leave the EU for many reasons. Uh, But um, let me stay to what uh, Scott and you have said. It seems to me that uh, Britain is much more similar to Greece than uh, what I thought. So Tsipras was also saying that you have to vote no to send a message to the EU and then renegotiate. By the way, the word renegotiation is a key word that Cameron has been using, Johnson has been using, Gov has been using, most of the levers... Um, suggest, uh, proposing and promising a future uh, full of money, new opportunities, taking back control. It was exactly the same discourse in Greece. And then when Tsipras went to the EU and the EU told him, uh, I'm sorry, this is what we can give you. If you don't like it, you can leave. Uh, Tsipras, uh, in a couple of seconds, uh, according to him, he worked 17 hours for this negotiation. Uh, he became uh, an Austerian. I uh, would dare saying that... Uh, and actually, if you see now what's happening, the EU has been asking Britain to invoke Article 50. Mm. Boris Johnson says, We don't have any RAS, and I can become a leader in October. Yeah, I think it's the first time that I hear a politician saying I want to become leader
0: later than earlier. One of the Leave campaign's advisers was quoted in the paper this morning saying that uh, everybody needs to, to, to go on holiday uh, and, exactly. and, and calm down, and then we can like we can look and into uh, how this is going to work. I mean, they're saying the, the audacity. In, of in addition to a very
3: bad behind. deal that the UK will get uh, we, by leaving the EU, and I would say this won't happen. Uh, Westminster uh, opens up the Pandora box of what is going to happen with the United Kingdom. Uh, you mentioned Scotland, and I, would, uh, I forgot also to mention Gibraltar, uh, which voted mm-hmm. 95% remain. Um, all of them, Northern Ireland, uh, Scotland, Gibraltar, uh, are thinking, OK, let's assume that Britain will leave the EU. Can we actually stay in the EU somehow? So I think for even for Boris Johnson or Gov, uh, having this legacy that uh, you, know, you may have caused a recession, you may break up the UK... Uh, you may have, uh, if you like, create a big pro- trouble for British people being in the European Union. You may tear apart the Irish peace process, uh, which, I think, which, which I is think, dependent on it. I, I think I would agree with an article that was written in the Financial Times by a, a well-known professor in European studies, Andrew Morawczyk, that said uh, politicians at the, at, the end of the, at the end of the day, they have to save their own skin. And I think um, it will be really painful for them to actually leave the uh, EU than... Uh, for the EU to actually uh, lose Britain and that's that's my take Uh, I'm in a way optimistic because I'm a pro-European person that I think Britain will not leave the EU but maybe I'm too optimistic I don't know Mm.
2: Tim. Well, prediction is difficult, especially uh, about the future, as they say. And to roll out another cliche, which I've uh, a phrase I've used so many times in the last uh, three or four days, it's just not true Um, uncharted territory. Uh, (laughs) We are in uncharted territory at the moment, so it's very difficult. Um, What I would say is, and I think this is perhaps a note of, of caution to add. It's not as if relations between Britain and the European Union have been fantastically good for a long period of time. Mm. So this notion that, um, you know, we've had this shock and let's go back um, to the status quo ante, I, I don't really see it. Because we've had this referendum, because of that long-standing. Problems um, that we've had with many aspects uh, about the EU. You know, don't forget that we are outside a number of uh, of key uh, policy areas in, in the EU. We're outside the eurozone. We're outside Schengen. Um, my expectation is if you want me to put my 10 euros or 10 pounds probably worth less uh, when you have to cash it in you can spread um, your
0: money around a few different bets if you want um, to hedge these <laughs> maybe I should
2: put a thousand uh, Albanian lek down there instead mate um, but I would put say, some money
0: on Iceland for the
2: championships indeed, just in case maybe, maybe what I would suggest is I think um, the, the, the reasonable type of outcome might be something like an EA uh, arrangement so the UK being part of the European economic area Um, that would be helpful in terms of trade we have access to the single market Um, of course we wouldn't then be a full player the EU wouldn't be around the table Um, and of course it raises a big question about free movement of labor Um, I would suggest that there has to be some kind of a new settlement clearly Cameron struck a deal and that settlement that he struck is something that British people Rejected. Mm. They may have rejected because they were lied to, because of blah, 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 but they rejected it. And we can't ignore a referendum. There'd be nothing worse than just ignoring it, I think. So I think that maybe something like in, um, a European Economic Area kind of arrangement or a special kind of status for the UK. I mean, I think if. Um, uh, some of the debates a number of years ago in political science about uh, how the EU should develop. And uh, writers like, for example, Vivian Schmidt talked about notions of graduated membership. She talked about notions of menu Europe in which there's one common dish, um, i.e. the single market, but then there are a whole bunch of other ones that you could opt into or opt out of. Um, I think we've got, to, we've got to bear in mind that it's not just about what Britain wants, this is a negotiation where the other member states, the other 27 of them, let's not forget them, have their interest. They have an interest in trying not to encourage other states to um, to go down the Brexit route. But at the same time, they don't, you know, it's important that there are good relations between the UK and the other member states. So I think that there will be some kind of a new settlement. And I think, you know... Uh, although i don 't know my feeling at the moment uh, today is that um we 'll end up with something like an e a ag- arrangement, so we would be outside the eu but we would have very close ties in trade terms with the with um, with the eu which ultimately is what a lot of British
0: politicians and others have wanted mm. you had a lot of even though that 's very yeah, imperfect yeah, you, as had, we all know. you had a lot of people at special status those words are uh, probably uh Uh, bring joy into the hearts of uh, the status-concerned amongst the Leave campaign. Scott? let's review what uh,
1: part of the United Kingdom said to Europe was, we're leaving. And what the EU is going to say to part of the United Kingdom is, don't let the door hit you on the ass on the way out because you've got one country that's told the other 27, you know, we didn't like the outcomes of these negotiations, so we're going to effectively veto this. We're going to go against everything that's supposed to be about collective responsibility. We're going to go on Wi-Fi. And then they're going to say, no, 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 we're going to come back in and we'll negotiate with you about that. Like, if I walked out of my partner, using that type of language, I'd be spending a lot of cold nights on the pavement and looking for a different place to live for a long, long time. It ain't going to happen. Now, we can talk about it as Tim has quite eloquently about Possibly there could be a new form of relationship, et cetera. But here, the, the line's already been drawn. The European Union leaders, first of all, said, look, you want to come back into a single market, you accept pre movement of labor, okay? There you go. Now, you can sit there and think about it for months. Because here's the cold-hearted reminder from my perspective, because I can't predict, but what I can see is this. It's going to take several months before Britain, sorry, the United Kingdom, or what's left of it, can approach the EU to talk about this new trading relationship. In those intervening months, the EU is not going to sit around you know, on its own. Instead, they're going to look at their own economic relationships. They're going to look at their own markets. They're going to make sure that they protect those markets. And meanwhile, a lot of companies are going to move out of London, going to Frankfurt or Paris or Dublin. The EU is actually going to benefit economically in the short term from what the UK has done. So all the leverage is with mm-hmm. the EU. UK, Britain doesn't have leverage. In addition, and let's just be, the longer this goes on, it drags on. The more the prospect is, is that It is Scotland, which is part of the EU, right, which reduces even the need to go back to the rest of the UK and say, oh, you come on back in on whatever terms you choose. So I can't predict what's going to happen. But I would say right now that if you allow the UK to dictate the terms of this and to come back, you allow any other country like Greece or anyone else to do the same thing by threatening to come out. And to go back to Adam's starting point with Boris Johnson, Boris made a not a great historian, and he's not a great journalist. And I say that as a journalist. He made a mistake in February, which is, oh, other countries have said no. When Denmark Denmark said no and when Ireland said no, they said no to treaty provisions. Mm -hmm. And then it was renegotiated. The U.K. didn't do that. The U.K. said, we're walking all the way out. And that is different than what Ireland or Denmark or anyone else has done uh, in the history of the EEC and then EU since the 1950s.
3: Yeah. And it's interesting to add that actually uh, following your thought that the EU doesn't say to Britain, let's negotiate. The EU actually has said with many different people, you leave first, you become a non-member, and then we talk about. It. And we know that the EU has been not dealing well with non-members. Mm. For instance, if you ask any Turkish politician how the EU has been treating Turkey, because of Greece or Cyprus or because of France or Germany, whatever, Mm. uh, the EU seems to have a very strong, as as any club I guess, very strong uh, preferential treatment to members than non-members. So if the EU is, and I think the EU is already playing hardball to make to push Britain, not to actually live. To say,
0: "Oh, you first become uh, a nobody, yeah. if you like, uh, uh, you live, and then let's talk about give some us, kind g- of give, give us your keys back, and then and, th- and yeah, then we'll yeah. talk." I don't think we can end this podcast without me doubling down on on <laughs> our last one by me delivering metaphorical shoes uh, to the crotch of david cameron uh, one one more time i had a friend who said that he feels like uh that we should the whole nation should chip into a fund uh to have someone follow around david cameron with an arrow sign saying i'm with stupid for the rest of his <laughs> life however long that may be and i reckon we could probably keep that resourced because There's a lot of, um, you know, and I've had some back and forth, as we all have had on social media over the last few days while all this sinks in, people talking about wanting a second referendum, people talking about the sort of tacitly they're questioning the legitimacy of this result, saying, you know, it's not democratic because too many old people (laughs) voted in it, or it's not democratic because people changed their minds the next day, or it's not democratic because, like, the voters don't know a lot about this issue, or as as if that's a a new problem or they were misled, as though that isn't, like, every election ever um, you know the basic reason most of us are upset about this let's look it in the face Is not because it's undemocratic it may be among the most democratic things in a crass and crude sense uh, that, that have happened in a very long time in this country and that more people turned up and mm-hmm. raised their hands one way or the other than uh, uh, than have done for for anything in, in in living memory um the issue here is that we think the result is a really bad one uh, that it is um, one that is going to hurt the country, especially those of us who have a particular sort of liberal liberal view of the country. And we think that this is no way to make the sorts of decisions that that, that have been made here, that democracy is one value, sure that there are other values as well, such as stability and order and institutions and individual rights and prosperity and dispersion of power. And the idea that you can create some majoritarian instrument to bat all of that aside and then regard it as a bulletproof shield against any concerns subsequently arising is, is a misguided one. But the problem is, having put that show of hands in place... It's hellish difficult to claim it isn't it isn't it isn't anti-democratic to turn around and not not act on the result. Destructive and self-destructive and ill-informed though it may be, and that's where David Cameron's original sin comes in, because as many people have pointed out, including The Economist, uh, uh, which is not normally one that you would you would associate with excoriating Tory prime ministers, uh, but they've gone for him on on this one. The public wasn't clamouring for this referendum. You know, the uh, the nation was wasn't up in arms demanding it, he had some angry backbenchers who were worried they were going to come under pressure from UKIP in their constituencies. And he didn't want to have to deal with that. So complacent about the fact that he'd win because his persuasive skills are so amazing, um, he threw them this referendum as a way of shutting down the discussion, uniting his party and getting himself back into government. Well, congratulations. You succeeded, you got back into government for a year, and now you are leaving in greater shame and ignominy than any prime minister, I think, in in all of recent history. Your one achievement being a fake economic recovery that has now been entirely wiped out by the greatest strategic miscalculation that anybody who knows anything about British politics can remember. Uh you really, you really have outdone yourself in the league table of failure uh, and, uh, and, and leg- legacy destruction. And I think we wish you well in your private life, whatever it may be. I hope that this hangs heavy over you for the, for the remainder of your life, however long it may be. Okay, uh, I think we've set the world to rights. Thank you very much for listening. You can follow the Political Worldview podcast on Twitter at Paul Worldview, and please do. Please also subscribe to us on SoundCloud or iTunes. Leave us a rating or a comment, which helps others discover the pod. Recommend us on social media, such as perhaps on Facebook, where you can find our show page, facebook.com forward slash Paul where we post links to the show uh, and to relevant articles and to other things that those of us are, are bringing out uh, through, through other channels. Our participants today have been Scott Lucas. Where, where can people find you on social media, Scott?
1: Uh, please come to EA Worldview which is at eaworldview.com, which has a whole raft of material, including this podcast, but also analyses on Britain and Europe, amongst other things. Mm-hmm. And I'm at Scott Lucas underscore EA on Twitter. Tim, do you have a social media
0: presence people can make use of if they're so inclined? Yes, although I'm not as prolific as Scott. Um, it's uh, at Horton Tim. And satiris. are you are you social media enabled or yes, uh, sozartal or if
3: uh, they if they are able to copy paste probably not not spell my name sotiris artta they will find
0: me on twitter okay we'll have your name in the uh, in, in the file yeah for that's a very useful show a always. people can use that to track down. Uh, maybe we can put it, in, put it in show notes as well. Uh, I'm Adam Quinn. You can find me on Facebook, uh, Adam Quinn 161 if you like. I'm also on Twitter, although I use that a little bit less, at AdamJamesQuinn. And uh, our producer is Connor McKenna. You've been listening to us from the Political Science International Studies Department at the University of Birmingham in England. We will be back soon. We hope our country will be too. Uh, <laughs> and uh, we hope you'll be listening when we are. Thanks very much. Bye. Bye.